Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to John chapter 3. This morning we are continuing our Christmas sermon series, Jesus, the Light of the World. Over the past two weeks, we have been walking through our Advent series. Bill walked us through Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 a couple weeks ago, a great section of Scripture that offered those of old hope for that glorious day when Jesus would come and dwell among us. Then last week we looked at the light of peace. Right after Isaiah declared that the world was dark, he prophesied of the dawning of a new day. In Isaiah 9, 6 we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For 700 years the people lived in anticipation of that day when the Prince of Peace would come and dwell amongst us. Then on that fateful night in the city of Bethlehem, the angel of the Lord appeared to those shepherds tending their sheep and declared that the Savior of the world, Christ the Lord, had been born. That night, sky lit up with a multitude of angels declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. We concluded last week with Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. We read, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Man, what great news. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise did visit us. Jesus did come and dwell amongst us. That is the first advent. The second advent is the promise that Jesus will come again and he will establish his earthly kingdom right here. Are you ready for his return? I don't know about you, but I am. Now this morning, I want us to look at the light of love. One of the... Um, theologians that I had to study in college and seminary was a gentleman by the name of Carl Barth. Well, one day Carl Barth was invited to be a guest lecturer at the University of Chicago Divinity School many years ago. At the end of the lecture, the president of the seminary shared that Dr. Barth was not feeling very well. He was going to open up to, uh, for a time of, of question and answering, but he wasn't up to doing that. But the president did ask Dr. Barth one question. He, he, he turned to Dr. Barth and he asked, of all the theological insights you have ever had, which do you consider to be the greatest of them all? It's a perfect question for a man that had literally written thousands of pages of some of the most sophisticated theology ever put into print. Well, anticipating Dr. Barth to, to go into a long theological discourse, the students prepared their pens and their papers, and they were ready to write down every word that came out of Dr. Barth's mouth. Well, again, Dr. Barth was not feeling well that day, and he, he closed his eyes, and he thought for just a moment. And then when he opened up his eyes, he, he put a little bit of a smile on his face, and he said, the greatest theological insight that I've ever had is this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
You can wrap up all theology into that statement right there, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most popular passages in all the Bible, John 3.16. This is one of those passages that both believers and unbelievers know. You turn on a sporting event, or you watch a concert, or go to a, 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 some, some outdoor event, you're going to see someone holding up a sign, most likely, that has John 3.16 written on it. You, you turn on a football game or a baseball game, and oftentimes you see those players with, with, with that black eye um, stuff under their eyes with John 3.16 written on it. Some of, some of you may... Um, Someone here today may have John 3.16 inked on their body. It is a very popular verse. And it is a verse that was first spoken to a Pharisee named Nicodemus some 2,000 years ago. We're told in John 3.2 that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Even though Nicodemus did not believe in the Lord at this point in his life, he recognized that in Jesus, supernatural events were taking place that could only be explained as having come from God. He had heard and probably witnessed all that Jesus had been doing. His teaching was unmatched. His miracles could not be explained. Nicodemus came to Jesus that night seeking answers about religion. But what he received instead were answers about redemption and salvation. He gets one of the greatest and clearest presentations of the gospel in all of Scripture. Our message point this morning is this. In order for anyone to enter the kingdom of God, they must first be saved. So let's read together John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's look at our first point this morning. It is this, God loves graciously. We're told right here that for God so Love. If you and I were to walk the streets of Allen or Dallas or, or anywhere here in Collin County um, and were to ask people to describe God to us, we'd get a ton of different responses, wouldn't we? You would have some that would say that God is angry, that God is unrelatable, that God is distant or judgmental or unfair. Some would say that God is not real or that The God you worship is just one of many gods. And some may even say that we are all gods. You would also have others that would say God is loving and caring, that God is our Savior, that he is the King of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. You would get a host of responses, but Jesus makes it clear that God is love. He is the source of God's love. Jesus is the source of God's love. The very word that Nicodemus devoted his life to studying and teaching begins with God, right? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Everything begins with God. The Bible, the universe, and this great verse we are studying this morning, God is real. I'm pretty sure in this room I can say confidently that all of us believe in God. Jesus goes on to share with Nicodemus the scope of God's love. We're told that God's love is not limited to a certain group of people. Jesus did not say, for God so loved the Jews, or for God so loved the Gentiles, or for God so loved the future nation of the United States of America, or South America, or Europe. He did not say, for God so loved the chosen and the elect. He said, for God so loved the world. Notice what Jesus would later say about love and the commandments. We read in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the, is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. God loves you and me. And he has given each of us a great capacity to love others. He loved us so much that, that we read here next with our second point. God gives sacrificially. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Dr. Grudem, um, a professor who has written much on systematic theology and doctrine, shared the definition of God's love. He said, God's love means that God eternally gives himself to others. It is in the very DNA of God, in his very nature, to give of himself in order to bring you and I and those outside the doors of this church into a right standing with him. That is why we can say that God's love is incarnational. This is a theological word that, that, that may seem big, but it simply means that God took on flesh. That fateful night in Bethlehem, God took on flesh and he came to dwell amongst us. It was essential for Jesus to become like us. I read the story this week shared by a plastic surgeon named Maxwell Maltz. The story is of a man who had been severely injured while attempting to rescue his parents from a house fire. During his rescue attempt, the fire had scorched his face and severely disfigured him. He was so ashamed of his appearance that he shut out the world, including his wife, from being able to see him. For help, his wife went to Dr. Maltz. And Dr. Maltz assured her, said, don't worry, I can restore him. Despite this good news, his wife still felt discouraged. Because her husband had always refused to get any help. 
Assuming he wouldn't change his mind, she said to the doctor, I want you to disfigure my face so I can look like him. If I can share in his pain, then maybe he will let me back into his life. Dr. Maltz tried to mask his horror at the request, and he quickly refused to perform the operation. But he was so moved by this woman's love for her husband that, that, that he said, I will go and visit your husband at your house. Through a closed door, Dr. Maltz said, I'm a plastic surgeon. I want you to know that I can restore your face. There was no reply. Please, won't you come out? The doctor pleaded with him. At least let me talk to you. There was deafening silence. Still speaking through the door, Dr. Maltz told the man of what his wife intended to do. She, she wants me to mutilate her face in order to make her face like yours. She hopes that you will then let her back into your life. That's how much she loves you. After a few moments, that doorknob ever so slowly began to turn. That is a small example of what Jesus did for us. He took off his royal garments. He put on flesh only to allow himself to be mutilated for us. I want you to know this morning that no matter what scars you have, the Lord can mend them for you. God's gift to us also is extremely valuable. Someone said the greatness of love is demonstrated by the value of what is given. God gave the most valuable and the most treasured of all of his gifts, his son, for us. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came and dwelt among us and died for us in order for all of us to receive the free gift of salvation. That, that gift extends to those outside of the, do, the doors of this church as well. Notice next, God welcomes freely. We read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The next key word shared with Nicodemus is this word, whoever. And this is such a great word. It means anyone. It means everyone. It means that no one is excluded. It means that this is universal and global and without borders and boundaries. God's love extends to all who will believe. The one condition laid out in this great verse is the requirement of belief. It is having a faith, believing that Jesus died for our sins. It is acknowledging by faith that Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives and believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice these words found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. Paul wrote, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. In verse 13, verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who believe and place their faith in Jesus will be saved. Notice that God's love promises that those who believe will never perish. Now, we know the word perish is not a positive word. This is the only negative word in this entire verse. To perish, in the sense that Jesus is sharing it with Nicodemus, means to be eternally separated from the presence and love of God in a real place called hell. Now, some people will say that this shows that God is not loving. Folks, God did not, does not send anyone to hell. The only people that will be in hell will be those who chose not to accept God's love and God's free gift of salvation. It will be those who chose not to believe in Jesus for salvation. No one else will be in hell, only those who refuse to believe in God. But for those that receive God's love, we are assured eternal life. Man, what a great promise that is. Jesus died for us. He shed his life's blood to provide a covering for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later he rose victoriously over death. And because of his resurrection and because of the work he completed on the cross, for those that believe in Jesus for salvation, they will receive the free gift of eternal life. Have you received the free gift? Have you experienced the assurance in your heart that you are saved because of your faith in Jesus Christ? Notice next, God acts redemptively. In verses 17 through 18, we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. When Jesus came, he did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world, right? He did not come to judge the world in the sense that he walked down the road pointing to a person saying, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus did. When Jesus came, he showed people how they could be saved. He showed great love to the lost. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. Did Jesus stone her? No. Did he allow the religious leaders to stone her? No. What did he tell that woman caught in adultery? He said, go and sin no more. That's the greatest love statement that could be made. Go and sin no more. Jesus demonstrated forgiveness and grace. I read the story of a young man that had been estranged from his father for some time. His mom desperately wanted him to come home for Christmas, but the boy was afraid because he did not know if his father had forgiven him or not. His mom said, let me talk to your father. If he has forgiven you, I will tie a white rag on the tree in front of the house. When the train passes in front of the house on Christmas morning, if you see a white rag, that means your father has forgiven you. Well, this young man journeyed home that Christmas morning with a friend of his. As they approached his home, 
he asked his friend to switch places with him on the train because he could not bear to look out the window to see if his father had forgiven him or not. Well, as they passed in front of the house, the young man reluctantly asked his friend, do you see a rag or not? His friend sat there silent for a moment, and then he said, yes, there is a white rag on every single one of those branches. It amazes me to think that God did not tie a white rag to a tree to tell us that we were forgiven. He allowed his only begotten son to be nailed to a tree to tell us that we have been forgiven. In closing this morning, notice that God calls responsibly. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You may ask, what do you mean by God calls responsibly? It means this, everyone has a choice. Nicodemus had a choice to believe or not to believe. Like Nicodemus, everyone has a choice to continue to live in darkness, to live their lives independent of God, or to live their lives in light of God's glorious grace. A minister and a barber were once walking down the very street that that barber's shop was located on. The barber was not a Christian, and he was kind of a bitter man. And as they walked down the street together, the barber turned to that minister and said, If God is so loving, then why does he allow for war and disease and poverty and evil? The minister didn't respond to him at first. But as they walked down the road, they came across a homeless man that had long, dirty hair. His beard was unkept. He had dirt and debris all over his body. The minister said to the barber, if you are such a good barber and if you are such a good man, then how can you allow someone to live on your street that looks like that? The barber kind of responded with anger. Why blame me for how that person looks? I can't help that he never has come into my shop for a haircut and a shave. Well, the minister turned to the man and said, Don't blame God either for those who continue in their evil ways when he has provided a way for all of them to be saved. The reason the world is the way it is is because the world loves darkness more than the light. The world loves to live independent of God instead of placing their faith in the Lord for salvation. Now, when we think about light, what do we think about? We think about how it eradicates darkness. We think as believers, we know that light, um, it, it, it exposes sin, right? You know, when God looks at a believer today, he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees, that we, he sees his blood. But for an unbeliever, when God looks at that unbeliever, he sees an individual that is not saved because that's what light does. It exposes people's sin. Understand that everybody can be forgiven from their sins. It simply 
requires them to enter into a faith relationship with God the Father. In closing this morning, let's wrap up the word John 3.16 here. Someone had, has written, if it reveals that God's great love, God so lived, loved a sin-filled world. It offers God's great gift. God gave his only begotten son. It offers God's great call, whoever will believe. It offers God's great escape. They will not perish. It offers God's great destiny. They will have eternal life. Read with me John 3.16 out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, that's a verse that most of us have memorized. If you haven't, let me challenge you to do that because it will remind you of God's great love that he had for you, and it will also remind you of God's great love that he has for other people. This morning as we close, you know, I don't know what decision you might need to make. Um, if you're here this morning and you need prayer, I'll be standing here at the front. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you want to know more about how to have a relationship with the Lord, I'll be standing here at the front. You may need to go to somebody in this room and just say, hey, will you, will you pray with me this morning? You may need to, at, during this time of invitation, just pray specifically for someone that you're going to be gathered around the table with at Christmas that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you boldness to share with them. You may want to go to somebody in this room and say, hey, will you pray for, with me for this individual? I don't know how you need to respond, but if, um, let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again this morning. Father, just thanking you for your great love for us. We thank you, Father, just for the precious verse that is John 3, 16. Father, how it just, it's, it, the gospel is just wrapped up right there. It shows your great love for us. It shows your great love for, for, for us by sending your son to die for us. It shows the great love that Jesus had for us as he went to that cross and died upon that cross and allowed his blood to be shed to provide a covering for our sin. It reveals to us also, Father, that we don't have to be condemned for our sin, but we can receive the free gift of eternal life when we place our faith in you. Father, I know that in a room like this that, 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 that I believe that every single one of us in this room is a believer in, in Jesus. But Father, we know that there may be some on this campus today that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. So we pray, Father, that today, through our growth group hour, through our 11 o'clock worship hour, through those that join us online. If, if there is someone that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. And I pray, Father, that you will give us the boldness as we leave from here to proclaim the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with throughout this day and throughout this week. Father, we love you and thank you for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a decision you need to make. You come.